Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes met the media on Wednesday, September 18th, and his responses are part of Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's sports podcast presented by Big O Tires. Mahomes covered several topics, including the personnel change on the offensive line with Cam Irving replacing the injured Eric Fisher. Mahomes also covered last year's Ravens game that produced what he said was his favorite pass of the season. Talked about going up against six-time Pro Bowl safety Earl Thomas. Plus, we get his thoughts on Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson, what he did for his birthday, why there are so many air raid quarterbacks in the NFL, and his admiration for Chiefs punter Dustin Colquitt, who becomes the Chiefs leader in games played when he takes the field on Sunday. Later, we check in with KU beat writer Jesse Newell to get his thoughts on the Jayhawks' big victory at Boston College last weekend and what that means for the program and Coach Les Miles going forward, starting with Saturday's home game against West Virginia. It's a full show on Sports BKC, starting with Patrick Mahomes on playing before the Arrowhead Stadium crowd for the first time in the regular season on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole team uh, is excited to finally be in Arrowhead. Uh, the young guys are really excited to see what it's like in the regular season, even though the preseason was, was just as hype. Um, but uh, we're excited to be home. Uh, we get to play a great opponent, and we get to go out there and uh, represent the, the kingdom. What did you notice Sunday about Eric Fisher's effort to try to get out there with you guys and play the game? What did you notice from Cam sort of replacing him? Yeah, I mean, Fish got out there and gave it a try. I mean, and that's what uh, all you can expect from him. Uh, if something goes wrong, it goes wrong. But uh, he he was he was uh, trying to get out there and fight with the team. And then when Cam get, came in, I mean, that's the the good thing about that whole O line room is we got depth there that guys can come in and and do their job and keep me protected. And I feel like he did a great job uh, coming in and and filling in uh, well. Patrick, a lot sorry. happened when you guys played Baltimore last year. What do you remember? What stands out to you now about that game last year? Yeah, I mean, they do a lot of different things. They do a lot of different things well. I think that's the biggest thing is they're, they're very sound with what they do. They don't have a lot of breakdowns. Uh, they have a, a, a really good defense, uh, and they have, they have a great offense and a great special team. So, I mean, it's going to be a great challenge for us. I'm excited for the uh, the opportunity to play them at home. At Earl Thomas has said he plans to eliminate all of the big plays. Is that possible for one guy to accomplish as a free safety? Yeah, I mean, they have, they have a great defense, and Earl's a, a great player and has been a great player for a long time. Uh, so... For us, we're just going to try to do our job and uh, move the ball uh, down the field in whatever way possible, and hopefully we'll be able to hit some of those plays. What stands out to you, though, about watching Will Thomas when you see him on the ball? Yeah, he's, he's extremely smart. I mean, obviously he's physically uh, very gifted. Uh, he can do a lot of different things, but he's able to recognize routes and, and break on them uh, fast. And so you, you see that type of stuff, and you think there's times where you can shoot some balls and, into some different seams, and then he makes plays on them. So he's a guy that's been doing it, doing it for a while now, and he has a, a lot of talent. What is that fourth and nine throw, that conversion rank, as far as your short career, maybe some of your biggest throws? That was probably my favorite one, just to the situation and uh, just giving the guys a chance and Tyreek making a, a great play on it and then ended up winning the game at home. Uh, I mean, that, that uh, gave us that pretty much gave us home field advantage last year in the, in the playoffs and everything like that. So it, it was one of, my, one of my favorite throws, if not my favorite so far. What a lot of you played so much composure in that moment. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I don't know if you call it composure. I looked the wrong way first, so uh, that, that I just kind of made made something happen after that. But uh, just trying to find a way to win. I mean, when you're a competitor and when you play the guys that are they're really good, you have to find a way to get the ball out of your hand and, and let them make plays for you. You won't go up against Lamar Jackson. You're obviously playing the Ravens defense, but what does it mean that you guys are kind of the young guns here? That matchup, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I mean, it's going, to be, it's going to be a great experience. I mean, we got to play last year uh, once, and then seeing his 
uh, progression with the understanding of the offense. I mean, I understand uh, going from year one to year two, there's, there's a huge switch that you kind of start understanding the offense at a different level, and it's able to let him uh, have success more as a passer, which, I mean, he has. he's always had the talent, but it's about learning the offense, and, he, and he's done that now. And then, obviously, with his running ability, he can still do that. So it's going to be a great challenge. Like I said, for, for our whole team, they're, they're, they're great in every aspect of the game, and I feel like we are too. So it'll be a, a great opponent to start off with at home. What do you think the Ravens are among the league? Yeah, I think it's that everyone does their job. I think that's the biggest thing with this whole team uh, with the Ravens is that they're they're going to be sound with it. They're, they're going to bring pressures, but they're not going to be breakdowns and coverages at the same time. And they understand what each each guy's role is uh, on the defense. And so it may not be one guy that 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 they have rushing, but they have a lot of very, very good players that are going to do their job the right way and trust in each other. A lot of deep passes are obviously necessary for arm strength, but you need accuracy to get the ball there in the right placement. Was there anything that you did this offseason to try to improve your accuracy? And, and how do you feel like your accuracy has grown since you got into the league? Uh, I think the, the biggest thing that, that we did in the offseason was just throw. I think just throwing with guys more and more, you start learning where you need to put that ball at, where they like the ball the most, and, and you build those relationships with guys. I mean, going into the to last season, I mean, I, I'd been with these guys, but I really didn't work within them for basically just half a year to a year. And so now just having a, another full off season where I was able to work with the guys and get that timing down has really translated well in the field. Do, do you think your accuracy is, is, is not as dire or as talked about as maybe even you would like at this point? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I kind of just go out there and play, and as long as you're playing football games and you're, and you're winning, uh, usually good stuff happens. Patrick, on that play last year, you are talking about against the Ravens. Is, when you're just trying to make something happen, is that a down and distance and situation, or like, do you do make that throw if it's not? Then yeah, I probably only fourth down uh, is the only time I'd ever make that throw across the field like that. I mean, I throw some across the field, but not just kind of chunking it down the field like that. So uh, it's a fourth down play where we had to make something happen, and you don't. I know I'm not running for it, so I just I throw it out there, and guys make plays. And uh, Tyreek came back to the ball and cut off the linebacker and made a great catch. How do you, You're not have the, Tyreek. How do you resist the urge to do it on another? Yeah, you just make that mistake once, and you kind of know that feeling, so you just try not to do it again. You're not going to have Tyreek, and Eric's hurt, and the running backs are a little bit dinged up right now. A few weeks ago, this offense had, was at full strength. How, how good do you think you can be when you're not at full strength? Do you guys do you have any concerns at all when, when some of the backup guys come in? Uh, none. I mean, those guys have worked as hard as anyone um, to be ready for their opportunities. And you saw it last week with, with D-Rob and with McColl and, the, and those guys. And I have the same trust with everybody on this team as we put in the work this training camp and, and it's everybody's getting reps. Everybody's going out there and running these deep routes or, or running in the ball from the backfield. And I have trust that, that we're going to have the guys ready to play on uh, Sunday. Are you doing anything fun for your birthday? I had dinner on Monday night. That's kind of like my like little little cheat day. But yesterday I studied, so that's that was fun, I guess. Uh, we saw some social photos. Terry looks like he's been able to shake the sling. Just uh, what has he meant to the team and the wide receiver room while he's been not been able to play? Yeah, I mean it's hard to keep keep him off the field. Every time you you he's walking around the place, it seems like he's like shaking the sling or, or like doing whatever. And you're like, man, you got to just rest for just a second. But that's just the, the mentality that he has is he wants to be out there. He wants to be competing with his brothers. And uh, it's uh, we're, we're excited to get him back whenever that happens. A couple more guys. Uh, Patrick, you know, we, people have talked about you coming out of the spread kind of offense. 
When you look around the league, a couple of injuries are the reason why, but there's a couple of Washington State quarterbacks going. Mason Rudolph's going to be playing mm -hmm. now. Baker, Tyler, you. It's kind of like, you, you feel like your success has helped kind of people believe more in quarterbacks coming out of those systems and, and kind of what that could mean for the future of the National Football League? Uh, I don't know if it's if it's necessarily my success, but I think just the success of the, the offense in general and then as coaches of first kind of came into the league from spread off from air raid spread offenses or whatever you call it uh and then we've intertwined that into the nfl offenses of, of old i mean i think it's uh it's kind of a mixture of that that's helped other guys being able to come into the league have success whenever they get their opportunities patrick um dustin's going to be like the all-time everything as far as playing games dustin mm -hmm. now you've probably prolonged his career because he doesn't have to punt as much with the offense here. But what have you learned from a guy like this who's been in the league and is still taking good care of himself and able to perform when called on? Yeah, I mean, uh, Dustin, like you said, he, he takes care of his body at a, a very high level. Uh, he, he gives me tips and, and stuff like that whenever whenever stuff happens or if, if whatever the case, he always is giving me something. So he's a, he's a great mentor or whatever you want to call it to have as someone who's done it the right way and been around the league for a long time. Tips on food? No, tips on taking care of your body, everything. That man, can, that man has a tip for everything, I'll say that. <laughs> Patrick, week one, it was Sammy, week two, D-Rob. What are you telling these guys, uh, of course, to be ready during the week? Are you saying anything like, hey, I'm going to get you, be ready, it's going to be your turn? I think we've, I think we just kind of built that trust as they know that if they're open, I'm going to try to get them the ball no matter who it is on the field. Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks, Patrick. That was Patrick Mahomes. When we return, the Kansas Jayhawks named the National Team of the Week by the Football Writers Association of America after its upset victory at Boston College is the topic. Save big on the biggest brand tires. Where else? You're participating Big O Tires. Now through September 22nd, get up to $70 off select sets of Michelin and BF Goodrich brand tires. Plus, get up to an additional $120 in mail-in rebates on qualifying purchases using your Big O Tires credit card. Only at Big O Tires, the team you trust. Not valid with other offers. Disposal fees extra. Up to 10% shop fee based on non-discounted retail price. Not to exceed $35 per permitted. For the store nearest you, go to BigOtires.com. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at 50 bucks, unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Jesse Newell covers Kansas for the Kansas City Star and the Wichita Eagle, and he was in Boston on Friday night to cover the Jayhawks' 48-24 victory over Boston College. I repeat, the Jayhawks' victory over Boston College. Kansas went into that game as a 20-point underdog. Did it, did it go higher by game time, Jesse? No, it actually shrunk. Um, it was 21 earlier in the week, and then I think some of the sharps started coming in a little bit later. Oh. And it kind of maybe knew a little bit of... Uh, you don't overreact to the first week. And uh, so it depends on where it was. I saw 20 online. I, I know some other places got it down to 18 and a half. But uh, nevertheless, uh, you're an 18, 18 and a half, 20 point dog, and you win by 24. 
that's a, a big rarity. And I saw out there that uh, out of 20-point underdogs, KU's victory was the biggest win ever by a team that was um, that much of a long shot. So well, a, a significant thing. The, the, the Sharps must have uh, been feeling not too confident when Boston College got up to a 10-0 lead in that game. Uh, so it, what happened? Just, <laughs> I, I, it's such a simple question. It's just a two-word question, but that's that's what I want to know. That's the question I've gotten most this week. You know, what what happened? What what went on uh, with Kansas? And here's the simplest way to say this, and it's the reason I picked KU to lose to Coastal Carolina. And then I did not pick them to beat Boston College, but I figured maybe a little bit of bounce back was. And you can go back to uh, my prediction article, and I, I said this exact thing in, exact thing in there, which was. KU has too many smart people in the office. They have too many people that are prideful to let that offense that they showed against Coastal Carolina go another week and do the same thing. I mean, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over, expecting different results. What we saw in week one and week two was less Miles offense. It's the less Miles offense that got him basically fired from LSU back in 2015. So when the book is written about KU's magical 11-1 season at the end of this year, um, there will be lots of assistant coaches that will be taking credit for going into Les Miles' office, stomping in there, pounding their hand on the desk and saying, Les, we have to go to a more modern offense, and then being the one that he listened to going into it. Whoever it was, or whether it was a combination of them, someone walked into his office and pounded their fist on the table and said that they need to listen to him. KU turned to, instead of their old school, hey, there's bad numbers, they have seven guys to block, nine defenders, and still try to run the ball up the middle, they went to RPO. And we've talked all offseason about the analyst Brent Deerman, the former coach at NAIA, Bethel College, they averaged 50 points a game. He came in and got hired as an analyst, had all these cutting-edge ideas, and they were left on the, the scrap heap floor for most of the season for Kansas. So all this was in the playbook, and KU decided to go to it. And they went to it more than half the plays against Boston College and they worked. And you go from Carter Stanley not trusting him to check out of a run play where there's 10 guys in the box to having him make a post-snap read uh, with an RPO and then a, or a pre-snap read and then a post-snap read. So having him make a bunch of decisions. And how was KU rewarded? I mean, you look at these stats. Carter Stanley, 20 of 27, 238 yards. You have two 100-yard rushers. You have one 100-yard receiver. You have uh, the field spread way out. So you have way more running lanes for guys like Khalil Herbert and uh, and also Puka Williams. And uh, you had KU in a better number situation, which is what they could have had all season if they wanted to use those plays. But um, a huge transformation. And listen, there's credit deserves to go all around. But I wrote this. You can't fix a problem if you don't think there is a problem. So however it happened with Les Miles, however someone got to him and said, we can't run this offense anymore. We can't do only this. Whoever did it, Les Miles listened, and he he embraced it, and he went forward with it, and KU went from seven points at home against a Sunbelt team one week to 48 points on the road against an ACC opponent the next week, and we definitely should be seeing more RPO moving forward. Two points. Uh, the Carter Stanley compiled those stats after throwing an interception on his first attempt. So uh, th- that was remarkable. And the other point is when, the, when you sw- – when you have a program like Kansas, a major program that has recruited okay in the last couple of years, and you put athletes on the field and give them space to operate, good things might happen. Uh, and, and that's what I saw on Friday. Yeah, we talked so much about it being played at a phone booth uh, against Coast Carolina where KU was having two tight ends and two running backs, and everybody's in the middle of the field, and you're trying to run the ball. And again, the offensive line is trying their best, but when you have seven guys to block nine— it's not going to work out that often. You know what I mean? And they're not good enough right now. They're not LSU offensive linemen who, okay, you run that play and you have one guy you can take out 
two defenders. I mean, KU's just not at that point yet. But if you spread the field, if you make things easier, if you have a quarterback who can look at a guy and say, okay, he's not in a good run position, I'm going to throw the ball, or he's not going to run position, I'm going to run the ball, and take some of those players out um, based off of reads, then all of a sudden you have something. You have something there where, hey, you can take advantage of what the defense is giving you and not just continually pounding your head against a wall trying to do something that's very, very difficult. So for Kansas, you saw a lot more three wide receiver sets, a lot more four wide receiver sets, and then because of that, you also saw a much better blocking game from KU's offensive line. You saw receivers downfield blocking for each other, and you know, uh, Khalil Herbert had an 82-yard run. He had two receivers blocking 70 yards down the field for him. Uh, and you mentioned the talent that KU has. Khalil Herbert, great running back. We thought he would be good. Uh, Puka Williams, great running back. We know he's an All-Big 12 first-teamer from last season. Andrew Parchment has been super impressive. Dalen Charlotte was at Alabama. Uh, Kwame Lasser had some nice moments last year as a receiver. So for KU, you, it seemed like they had the playmakers. They just had to figure out the right way to operate to get those guys uh, in, a, in ideal situations. And for a week and for a Friday, a full moon Friday the 13th Friday, uh, they figured out the right method. And um, that has to be encouraging for the team moving forward. There had to be an element of surprise for Boston College here. They didn't see this Kansas team on tape in the first two weeks. And if they're scouting Les Miles LSU teams, they didn't see this. Um, I, I think that helps explain why series after series, once Kansas got going offensively, Boston College kind of didn't know what to do. Yeah, it's funny. It reminds me of uh, Nick Schwartz from 1320 Radio in Lawrence. He talked, I've listened to uh, some of him talking during the week, and he said, Hey, uh, Boston College's defensive coordinator, I guarantee you he's playing 36 holes of golf today. He's playing 36 <laughs> tomorrow because he's just looking at it and going, Oh, all I have to do is run blitz? Okay, well, that's it. Uh, I'll go I'll get another 18 in if you want to. But you're right, Blair. Okay, you hadn't shown all that much. It was in the playbook. Again, in six days' time, you can't implement a whole new offense. It just means. They have a big playbook. They only use a certain portion of it. And for this game, they decided to open up, give a lot more faith to Carter Stanley and what he can do. And I I know I I say this a lot, but so much of football is just a numbers game. And if you can look, if Carter Stanley can look out there and say, hey, that middle linebacker with the whole field spread out, I mean, at worst. So you have three receivers to your left and one receiver to your right, Blair. At worst, you're Boston College, you have to go put someone on those receivers. Yes, you do. You have to. I mean, otherwise, that's a really easy numbers problem <laughs> is you just throw it to the guy who has nobody covering him. But, okay, so now your box all of a sudden is six or seven instead of, you know, nine or ten like it was the game before. So all of a sudden, you're kind of standing, you're looking at the middle linebacker. You're saying, okay, is he playing the run or is he playing the pass? So if that guy comes crashing towards you, you just dump it off over the top of him. If he doesn't come towards you, you hand the ball off. you got a really good running back running the football. And I don't – it's something – it seems obvious, and I think a lot of us wrote it last week. Like It seemed like a thing that Kansas should be doing, but we've seen coaches in the past where they just are too hard-headed. They, they got, something got them here, and they're not going to change. And I think Bill Self, 4-1, is one guy that is so good because he is flexible. We saw him a couple years ago with the four-guard offense. His best four players were guards. He scrapped his two-big look, which he loves, and he said, going to win with this. They made the Final Four. I think what makes him such an outstanding coach is that, yes, he believes in what he believes, but if there's a better way, he finds it and he does it. And so, uh, again, whoever talked to Les Miles, however it happened, KU, the coaching staff, deserves credit because they got away from what was horrible and they got to something that was really successful. And however that worked in six days, it worked, and uh, that gives a lot of hope for Kansas moving forward. Well, and that also probably contradicts the thought that I had that, when, when Les Miles looked at the schedule, he saw the first major challenge was Boston College and thought perhaps he didn't have to put something on tape 
against Indiana State and Coastal Carolina and, and could uh, uh, unveil uh, you know, something on, uh, to Boston College that they hadn't seen. But if that was the case, uh, I think an adjustment might have been made at some point during the Coastal Carolina game be, at the risk of losing, having an embarrassing loss, which happened to KU. Yeah, I don't think so because um, a couple reasons. If you remember, and we talked about this in the offseason, Blair, uh, Puka Williams' suspension was one game. We talked about it being a little bit controversial. But I told you at the time, I said, if you picked out one game on Kansas' schedule that was more coin flip than any other game, I would have picked out Coastal Carolina. And so the Puka suspension, again, because it was a little bit short, we thought, you go back to the schedule and you say, okay, what game is he coming back for? He's coming back for the Coastal Carolina game. And that's not a game I ever thought that was like a slam dunk win for Kansas. Again, I picked Coastal Carolina in the game. So I think going into that one, you know the importance of starting 2-0. and I think what happened late in that one is Carter Stanley had played so poorly and he had a couple bad decisions, a couple interceptions. I think Les, who has obviously installed his offense and sort of, has talked about having veto power with play calling uh, going into it. I think they just got, he got so scared of what Carter Stanley could do. And he thought his best way to get out of it was just to run the football and do what he'd done at LSU and avoid mistakes. Now, at some point that really doesn't work out. It didn't work out for Kansas because on third and two and fourth and three, your final two plays, you have two unsuccessful run plays. At some point when you're trying to win the game, you have to throw the football. You know, you have to drive down the field. So I just think he got so conservative in his own mind and so worried about what might happen with Carter Stanley. He lost the bigger picture, which was like, hey, to win this game, you can't just keep pounding it in against 10 defenders who are ready for your run. You have to do something different. And so that's really where the off season or the off week or the, the six days between games really benefited Kansas is that it allowed them to evaluate, allowed them to look at film, and allowed somebody to get in his ear and say, uh, look, coach, this ain't working. You got to go do something else. And listen, you saw him on the sideline. You saw him after the game. If you're Les Miles, I know part of why you wanted to come back is to say, hey, this offense works. Everyone says it doesn't, can't work. It can work. It's my offense. I'm telling you it can. Who cares? Wasn't that a lot of fun? <laughs> I mean, do you, when you're on the sideline, you're Les Miles, you're doing your five-finger claps together, and you're talking, and you're the national team of the week, and you're doing post-game inter- interviews, and, you know, Kirk Herbstreet's talking about you on Twitter, and you're on college game day, and uh, you're singing the rock chalk chant, and you're celebrating the locker room. Isn't that fun? Who cares what the offense is? And so for Les, I think uh, and that might be the most positive thing. Is just like, hey, you can be a little less involved and, and take yourself out of it a little bit. If KU keeps winning, you are going to be a hero. It does not matter how it gets done. If you got other smart guys on staff, let them do some work too. You just said it, Jesse. If KU keeps winning. So now it's, it's time to transition into the grand scheme of things question. The KU victory, is it? does it portend? good things for this team, this program? Is it a blip on the radar screen? Uh, the the next opponent is West Virginia that come, comes to Lawrence on Saturday. West Virginia coming off a pretty nice victory, beating North Carolina State in, in Morgantown uh, last weekend. I think a lot of people believe this was Kansas' best chance at a Big 12 victory. It might still be, who knows? But to me, that's the, sort of the next, the next frontier for Kansas is what does a victory over a respectable Boston College team mean for Kansas going forward? It's really difficult. And I think both of these teams are really difficult to figure out because we saw West Virginia just get tromped by Missouri and thought everything was basically wrong with them. And I thought going into the season, if you remember this player, if KU was going to pick off a Big 12 victory, I always thought it was going to be a coach 
like Kansas that has started out with a new program. And sometimes those things go south a little bit more than you think, and it takes a year to rebound. And so kind of likely candidates were West Virginia, Texas Tech, and Kansas State. Now, Kansas State has gone in the opposite direction, I believe, you know, climbing off to a great start. West Virginia kind of rebounded last week, and then Texas Tech just lost their quarterback, so we'll kind of see what and happens. And stubbed its toe at Arizona on yeah, Saturday night. So we'll see what happens with them. I, I think it's a really difficult game to figure out because for Kansas, again, they just outperformed the spread by 45 points by changing their offense. So is that a real thing? I mean, they're going to hit a wall at some point where teams, okay, this is on film now. They can do some different things schematically. But how many more points does that mean for Kansas now that they found something? I mean, they went from a junior high team offensively to like, you know, a step below Patrick Mahomes in the second and then third game. So, I mean, what, what do you do with that? I don't know. And I guess my inclination and kind of my inclination always is this, is to not overreact to one week. So for Kansas, I think their defense is solid to good. And that has been the best story of the season for them is that DJ Elliott's come in here. They've had to replace basically their entire front seven. The transition has gone well. There's been good communication. They've stopped different styles of offense. So I think that's solid for Kansas. Offensively, I just don't know. You know, Carter Stanley could be sort of, um, not injury prone, he's sort of mistake prone at times. So we'll see. Um, He had a great game uh, last game against Boston College, but we'll see moving forward. And if he continue to make the good reads like he did last game. Um, But all in all, I think it's very difficult for me to one game completely change what I thought about both teams going into it. I guess I'll kind of revert back to what I thought in the preseason and what I thought in week two. And I figured West Virginia would be about a seven to 10 point favorite. I saw they got down to like four and a half this week. Um, It's a great opportunity for Kansas. If they can go to three and one, that's something this program doesn't do very often. They've only had three wins in a season this decade, I think three times, and that's been the most that they've had. So an amazing opportunity in front of them to continue creating buzz. But I guess if you're asking me for a pick, I'll probably go with West Virginia by a couple scores, just kind of going back to what I thought about these teams before the season started and thinking that West Virginia had more in the cupboard than Kansas did. But it certainly is intriguing for Kansas because you just have no idea what their ceiling is now, now that for a week they seem to have the offense figured out. I think a lot of people believe Kansas would be 2-1 and one in their non-conference games. they just not going to get there the way that they got there. It's really, you don't want to poo-poo a 20-point underdog victory on the road, but it just makes you, I mean, you just have to stop and think, like, what if they would have run 10 RPO plays against Coastal Carolina? Right. I mean, can you imagine if this was 3-0 and with West Virginia? I mean, a win there, we're probably talking about a national ranking for Kansas football? Yes, with um, you know, with Boston College having the, Virginia Tech was their marquee victory. Yeah, but, but they were well thought of coming in. Although I think it it it, it bears um, mentioning that after Clemson in the ACC, there's a lot of um, uh, dreck. Yeah, it just it's it, the ACC not off to a good year, and of course now everybody's going to point to the Boston College loss to Kansas as example one. Of absolutely, that. but uh, you know what I'm saying? Like even if receiving votes, I mean, it sure feels, they, they absolutely would have received. It some feels votes. like. I mean, I was basically in college, you know, like I, I keep going back to it, but like iPads did not exist. I mean, this is a long time coming, and I'm not saying that would have lasted. I mean, Kansas probably still would have finished six and six or something, but you know, if you would have had a 4-0 start, I mean, my God, oh, like right, this right. place would have been on fire. I mean, they would have had, and they still have attention, and listen, this is a big game. We'll see what happens with attendance. I'm going to assume that they have more this week, a 3.30 p.m. start, which is ideal. looks like it's going to be nice weather. It's almost like how you would want it if you're KU. If you're going to lose a game, you already had the bodies in the seats for Coastal Carolina, so they come back with this huge win where everybody's talking about it against Boston College. You come back, and now your fans are sort of interested again. Um, Yeah, it's it's a really interesting game, and for Kansas, um, the fact that the schedule is sort of 
um, front-loaded with easy opponents, uh, it makes this sort of fascinating because this is probably the best chance for Kansas to win another football game all year, and it comes at sort of a perfect time where they might have just found themselves. So, um, yeah, uh, if KU gets a 3-1, and one, that's some place they have not been. I need to look it up, but they haven't been there in a long, long time. So we'll, we'll see what happens with KU, and we'll see how much of this offense is really real. Well, you've already touched on a little bit. We, I was going to ask you a little about some historical perspective uh, for that victory. We know that it was the first – road a victory over a power not power fbs or power five whatever the conditions were i forgot exactly what they were since 2009 I 2008 it was the first power five road victory for kansas since 2008 they beat they iowa beat state iowa state 35 to 33 and that was my tweet that said ipads were two years from existing <laughs> right right and then you and i talked earlier in the day i was wondering um how this in terms of kind of shock value, how it stacked up to the Texas win. Yeah. Uh, it, I forgot what year that was. Was it 15 or 16? Uh, I can't, I can't it remember. It was David Beatty's second year, so it would have been 16. Six, 16. Because he uh, went 0-12 in his first year. Yes. Uh, and that was that was remarkable for Kansas to, to defeat Texas in they, I still hear about it online. Game. Yeah, you, you see the the Titanic music with it and uh, all that <laughs> stuff. Yeah, I mean it's still it's still a thing. You know, right. Kansas beat Texas has been a meme for like five years now. But but yes, the, I would I would put the Boston College victory, the way it happened, the margin of victory, the unexpected nature of it, up there with top two or three victories by this program in the last decade. Yeah, I mean. We remember the Georgia Tech victory, the second game of the season after they lost North Dakota State in Turner Gill's first game. And Georgia Tech was ranked in that and game. And Georgia Tech was ranked, so you thought, hey, this is kind of continuation. But as you mentioned earlier, Blair, um, that team at the time was not in a total um, spiral valley. Right, yeah, I right. mean, that was a team one year away from a 5-7 and seven season under Mark Mangino. You figured, hey, Turner Gill has some nice pieces to work with. This, continu- this program can continue to be sort of a bowl-eligible every other year sort of team. So that was a big win, but you kind of thought, hey, this, this program's sort of used to big wins. Um, outside of that, I mean, I'm being frank with you, player. Like, there haven't been that many victories, you know. Like, no. like, like we can count them on two hands in the last decade, basically. Uh, last year's TCU win was a big one. Um, they were again, I think, about 20, 21 point underdogs. So you can't take that one away. Texas, uh, five. I think there were six turnovers by Texas. So a lot of that was kind of Texas handing the game away. This one was on a different level because Kansas just went in there and walloped Boston College. I mean, it didn't look like. There was any luck or fluke or, oh, that's sort of weird. How did that happen? How did that crazy bounce happen? I mean, KU went in there and took it to Boston College, which is a team that is known for its physicality and did it in their uh, home stadium. So, yeah, I, I would say so. And, again, sometimes we're victims of the moment and we sort of overreact to things. But uh, the fact anytime this spread, you are outperforming the spread by 45 points. I, you know, that's that's something to hang your hat on and be – basically feel like it's a huge accomplishment so I have no idea where Kansas lands on the spectrum as to what we thought of them before last week or we thought of them going into the season but I would definitely put that at least that one in the Texas victory uh, those two are at least on the same line as it comes to KU football in the last decade and we'll see if uh, Les Miles can use this as a springboard moving forward yeah I was gonna say how about um, back-to-back victories over FBS opponents is that the next frontier for for Kansas we got to go to the record book for for that one it, it's crazy I mean again it's crazy that you bring some of this stuff up because I even I had kind of forgotten you know power five road win is sort of it gives you a couple caveats or whatever but 2008 <laughs> 2008 I mean you play 
at least five or six Power Five teams because you're in the Big 12 freaking conference, you know? So um, it, it's just amazing some of the stuff that still kind of continues to pop up. But with Kansas football, you know, you got you to gotta crawl before you walk. You got to walk before you jog. You got to jog before you run. So to get some of this nasty history out of the way and to have those things not be a thing anymore, uh, that's a major step in, in and of itself. Right. All right, Jesse Newell, thanks for stopping by, and we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good, Blair. Links to the stories we discuss can be found in the show notes on KansasCity.com, and all Chiefs coverage can be accessed with the Red Zone Extra app. Thanks to our producers, Leah Becerra and Kathy Liu, and a shout-out to JLHSDB for the kind words and rating on Apple Podcasts. And on Thursday, we take our show to the road at Big O Tires in Overland Park at 151st Street off 69 Highway. Catch us on Facebook Live around 9.30 in the morning. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll be back tomorrow to talk sports in Kansas City.